All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, uh, John Larson. And uh, (laughs) we're listening to giggles already. All right, um, so tonight we have assembled another grand panel. First of all, to my right is the effervescent and always lovely Zilpha. Hi, Zilpha. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Hi, Zilpha. Also uh, here in studio with us is Amy returning for her triumphant... Is this your... The third appearance this is this officially it's the third yeah welcome back i'm glad to be back in this beautiful valley of lehigh we are here at the cusp of utah county just on the border between the true mormons and the less valiant mormons and um what you're <laughs> gonna get yourself in trouble the true mormons live in the heart of utah county down in uh arm and uh Provo. across the, the lake true mormons lived in those high-rise buildings in the middle of Salt Lake. <laughs> no. You mean the City Creek condos? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. All right. And um, Matthew is uh, joining us again. Or, no, Matthew, this is your first time with me, right? Yeah. Well, this, this is my first podcast. It's not my first podcast recording, as you know. But uh, Yes. Ooh. Yes. Actually, this is part, um, well, this is part do-over of this podcast. Um I screwed up somewhere in the recording pro- or in the processing process and um, or lost. just got a glitch. Something happened and I lost the audio. So so this one's going to be much better. And actually sitting in for Mike Tannehill, who was on the first one, is Amy. So Amy, Amy's playing the part of Mike tonight. <laughs> this is a stretch, y'all. <laughs> Love you, Mike, but I just don't think I can fill those shoes. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. No, Mike, Mike did a great job. He just couldn't make it tonight. So um, we'll bring John should, the future. John, should I introduce myself briefly? Please, I was rudely over- talking over you. Go ahead. Well, you no, know, I, I just know everyone's dying to know. So I'm Matthew, and I uh, live on the East Coast in Virginia. Um, I am a multi-generational Mormon with uh, polygamists on both sides of the family tree and even a Manifesto-era apostle. Um, probably about a year or so ago, my wife and I sort of severed our ties with the church, not in any official way, but uh, just sort of moved on from it. Um, in terms of um, you know, my internet presence, um, I'm involved in all of the Facebook groups uh, that most people all are probably... They, they, all they all of them. I've like got a huge list, John. They, they, they multiply pretty quick. Are you on PostMo, Matthew? PostMormon.org? I don't think I am on that one. Then you aren't on all of them. Okay, well, I'm on substantially all of them. Okay. Um, I uh, Let's see, what else was there? Um, oh, I, uh, I'm a moderator at uh, Cougar Ute Forum, which is uh, nominally a, a sports message board where you know Cougar fans and Ute fans try to get along with each other, but also has a very robust uh, religion section. And I um, blog at uh, Second Gospel of Matthew, which is a, a WordPress blog. I am a civil uh, uh, trial lawyer by trade, and that's a long introduction. That's all you're getting yeah but you deserve it that's awesome (laughs) all right yeah uh, i'm glad we're facebook friends (laughs) and you too can be a facebook friend all right well tonight is another in our series of dummies podcast as a reminder um the dummies are us and this is our opportunity to talk about some aspect of mormon culture mormon doctrine mormon tradition and sort of take it apart and um see what the moving parts are um so tonight our topic is the temple recommend questions and um yeah so let's maybe let's start back at the temple um so uh, 
because we're we're doing this for dummies, we're going to talk at you tonight as if you don't know anything about Mormons. Um, so the temple is sort of the pinnacle of Mormon worship service. Now, in in Mormonism, one of the things that is that keyly defines Mormons is the idea of the need for literal um, completion of ordinances. And because obviously everybody who's ever been born can't become a Mormon. Um, we have the concept of ordinances for the dead or vicarious ordinances. So in Mormonism, there is a small set of ordinances that have to be done in order to enter into heaven. The first is baptism, followed thereupon by the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost and confirmation as a member in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For young men who attain the age of 12, they will then receive the Aaronic Priesthood, Although the Aaronic Priesthood is sort of not necessary, but you have to have it to get the Melchizedek Priesthood, which is necessary. So the brethren have to get the Melchizedek Priesthood. Um, the girls are waiting on the sidelines with their pom-poms at this at this stage. And then um, you have to go to the temple and receive your washing and anointing. And then you receive the endowment. After you receive the endowment, you can um, become sealed, which is the Mormon form of being married. Um, so that is the full set of ordinances that you must achieve to get into Mormon heaven. And to do that, to do your washing, anointing, your endowment, and your sealing, you have to go into the temple. Yes, and a wedding. You can't you can't go watch a family member's wedding without a temple recommend. Well, there's a weird there's a weird thing there. This is our, where Mormonism has evolved, and we we sort of got this mismatch of rules, and we're going to see those as we go through the 15 Temple Recommend questions. But if you're under the age of 18 or 16, do we determine what it was? And you're getting sealed to your parents, because you don't just get sealed to your spouse, you also have to get sealed to your parents, because we have these long chains. So you can go to the Temple and witness your parents getting sealed, and then you can be sealed to them. But if you're 16 and your older brother is getting married to his wife, you are not allowed to go in, presumably because you're not allowed to view the ceremony. But you are allowed to do baptisms for the dead. Yes. Oh, yeah. And also, maybe we should clarify, if the children are watching their parents get sealed, these are children that are not born in the covenant, correct? Right. right. Okay. So, so when, our, when our second was sealed to us, our first was able to go. So it's not just, even though she was... 20 year, months, yeah. 20, two years, two years. So, so, so you could say, well, they have to go to the ceiling in order to get sealed. But small children, if you were 15 and your parents adopted a two year old, you would be able to go witness that ceiling. But if you're 18 and you were just as worthy as the 15 year old, but you didn't have a temple recommend, you would not be able to go. Um, now you mentioned baptisms for the dead. The, the baptistry is in the basement and it, 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 in all modern temple. Baptistry. The baptismal font. <laughs> the baptismal font is, is down in the basement. And youth over the age of 12, for the boys, they have to have the priesthood also. The girls can't. They just have to show up and tell <laughs> the truth. Um, but they do it on a group recommend. So they don't have to sit through these 15 questions. The, the bishop is left to ascertain their worthiness, um, but they do not have to go through the same process. But in all modern temples, those two entrances are separated and they, they really can't um, cross paths very much. I seem to remember going through a personal interview with my bishop for for baptisms for the dead. Yeah, but it, it, you didn't have to go through these same exact Oh, these, yeah, questions. no, not these same exact. Right, and there's a group, 
there's a group recommend. So uh, the group is recommended as opposed to the individual. Uh, and it's it's a it's a one time pass. You know where a temple recommend now is good for two years once you, once you get this this signed. Did I miss anything, Matthew? Oh, um, you also need a temple recommend. Well, I guess it's a vague. You either you you need to have been endowed um, to get garments. So, so that's a big deal for for Mormons. You and they use the temple recommend to make sure that you have been endowed. If you don't have your temple recommend, apparently they can use your membership number. Yeah, and that, um, but and I was going to clarify because there were some questions on the board in our tubcast. I think we said that um, you know I stopped wearing garments when they wouldn't sell them to me, and some people tried to call BS on me. What happened is I went to buy them, and the link, their computer link, was down. So on the register, what they normally do is they look at your recommend, and now they have a barcode, so they can scan it and they look you up in the computer to make sure you have a current. If not, and you, you didn't have your temple recommend with you, right? Um, I don't because it was so they, ex- could, it was, it they was couldn't expired. look him up on the computer. They couldn't look me up, and they said you're not authorized to buy garments. Well, they said they can't sell them to you because they can't authorize right. that you're. So, so I mean, that set me off on two accords. First of all, this is a clerk selling underwear. Right, like, why would she have access to this thing, which should be very personal and very? And why would you want to buy garments if you didn't have to wear them anyway? Right, right. So, so you know, they were trying to make it hard for me, and um, he was on his way out anyway. So that was just like, well, fine. Yeah. I just recently was with my sister in Cedar City, and we, I wanted to go to DI so I could buy an old book to do a bookmobile and. And we didn't realize it, but the distribution center is connected to the DI in Cedar City. Yes. And my sister's from California, and they don't have a distribution center um, near the temple in our stake, I suppose. And so she would have to travel to Oakland, I believe. So she was all a flutter that she could buy garments. And let me tell you, I accidentally almost backhanded by my mother once for following her into the into the area where the distribution center in Salt Lake sells garments. Like she put the kibosh on it real quick, like ping, you done. cannot come really? I cannot enter this zone. You're not even allowed to look at them. I was not allowed. Now granted I'm heavily tattooed and maybe that was just gonna be a problem in general for the other patrons. <laughs> they were gonna be upset. Um and maybe, you know You're not heavily tattooed. You I have am. like a little thing on your arm. Oh, Zilpha, don't make me take my dress off. <laughs> um, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, look, See, Jesus would Jesus would have loved that. He, you know, he loved to mess with people's preconceived notions. I think he would have gotten tatted up and headed right into the distribution. Well, center my mom himself. was made sure I wasn't going to be in there. Anyway, my sister bought garments at the Cedar City Distribution Center, and I have never in my life seen such chaos and confusion. And buying a pair of underwear. Well, you have to remember that a lot of the the little old ladies working there are volunteers, so they're not going to be highly trained, and they're not going to be, you know, you know. Well, so. and it's the computer systems are sometimes hard for them to navigate. Well, like the names and the sizes and the styles oh, and the oh, textures. Oh, oh, yeah. And the, do you have this? And do you want that? And is it square? And is it circle? And people are pulling their garments out of their back pants and asking strangers to read their garment tags and i'm just like wow and i'm the whole time swear to you i'm drinking starbucks in the waiting room <laughs> if you want that to see sound chaotic but uh, you've never seen me shopping for lingerie i'm just saying <laughs> I, I don't want to hear about the lingerie that you're, I do. you're buying all right um if you want to see garments just go to any like gymnasium in the state of utah they parade around in them all the time and um there's no 
there's no like culture of covering up your garments at the gym. I wish there were because they walk around and they and why do all men in the state of Utah have like worn out tattered garments? They don't. Come with me into the, the, the locker room and I will show you. Come with me, dear Zilpa, and I will show you the that tattered garment. I'm going to pass on that actually. one. See, are, are any of us old enough to remember when they got so tight on selling them and letting people see them? Because I remember being a kid um, up in oh, – it must, must have been in Pocatello, Idaho or somewhere – um, and being in a DI and they had, you know, one of these bins that clothes are just sitting in and there were garments sitting in them. I, I mean, I, even at that age, this would have been the mid eighties. I recognized what they were. I mean, I guess at some point they must've gotten more strict with that, but uh, well, does it, anybody know when that happened? If you go back in time, you don't have to go that far back, like even into the sixties. Um, the garments were sold at like JC Penney and Sears. Now, everybody put their own marks in, and this is one of the things I've brought up on the podcast before. I would dare say that 90% of Mormons don't know that the marks are actually cuts that are sewn up. Um, so in the old days, they would cut the garment in the ceremony, and then you would take it home and sew it up. Now they're pre-cut and pre-sewn. So it wasn't that long ago, 50 years ago, you would buy garments that were unmarked, and then you would go and take them to the do your, when you did your washing anointing, and that's where you'd get your garment cut. And that's how they would get the garments would get anointed or whatever to wear and they'd get they'd get blessed. Now I guess they're pre blessed or they don't it's not part of the ceremony anymore. I don't I don't quite get the transition. They get rid of all the cool stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Darn it. Well, I don't want to sew up my underwear, so so I'll buy it. So you, you just want to cut them up. You could buy them that 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 way. Just um, leave the holes in them. Now I know yeah. when when I've got my garments, um, um, I, I you you actually have to go buy a pair before you go to the temple the first time. So you have no idea what the hell you're doing. They had blanks, um, when I went. So they had a dressing room and they had garments that were just unmarked because really? you were unendowed. And oh, then wow. a little while later, I think it was with you when we went to get your garments. We said, well, she can try on the blanks. I said, we do not do that anymore. It is too tampering with holy things. <laughs> oh, man. So that was in the so space yeah, I had of... To buy, I really had to buy them blind. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, don't you remember the same thing that I do? There's the one you go through the washing and anointing that you actually have a set of garments put on you, and those yes. are just a generic set that have been put through the laundry a whole bunch of times. Yeah. And my recollection was is after that had happened, and then I was changing to go do the endowment, that's when I put on the pair that I had bought. Well, mm -hmm. we're, we're running down a rabbit hole, and we'll have to come back to this, but there's reason for that. We should do a that. whole thing on garments. And the garments changed um, faster for what people wore out in the street than they did in the temple. So for a long time, they wore the old tie garments, even when people weren't wearing those anymore. And so cer ceremonially in the Washington anointing, they had the old style garments. Now they had the, they had the zip up ones and then you would change into your garments while you're there in, in the booth. And I, I know they changed that ceremony in 2005 and I have not been back. Um, but, uh, and now you, you probably, I don't know what you, cause you're not naked anymore, right? So what are you wearing? I, you put the garment on first now. Oh. Um, in the, in the old, so, uh, once again, we're down to big rabble. <laughs> in the old days, you put on a shield, right. um, which was, which was like a poncho, like you'd buy in Tijuana. You know what it reminds white. me of is that Abu Ghraib looking thing where the guy is standing on the exactly. box to it, be electrocuted. Was and he's got that thing. It was over open him. on either side. So you were naked. And that was so like that, a sheet with a hole in that the middle. That was so the, the ordinance worker could reach in underneath and touch on the, the, your belly and places like that. They didn't touch your genitals or anything, but, um, they got close. Um, Anyway, uh, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> that's a whole so other thing. Let's get back to the temple recommend question. So the first thing I want to establish um, as we dig into these is Mormonism is a religion without a creed. 
Um, and Joseph Smith actually specifically said that. I should have had the quote here, but he said, Mormonism is a creedless religion. Now, what a creed is, it's a defining statement of what makes you part of this religion. So when you have the different dom- denominations, say the Presbyterians and the Methodists, they have creedal differences on what they believe. And, um, you know, some of the creeds are very old, like the Nicene Creed going back to the fourth century. Um, and so there's this, this corpus of things when you say, I'm a Methodist. Then it means that you, and I, I adhere to, to, to that, um, that denomination. Then you can say, well, then that means you believe this and you believe this and you believe this. You adhere to these beliefs. Well, what about the 13 articles of faith? The 13 articles of faith really are kind of vacuous. I <laughs> mean, to, to, to be, to be blunt, they don't have a lot of, they're, they're kind of that way, but they, they, they have stuff like we believe in being benevolent. That's, True, chaste, and benevolent. That's not real actionable, for one thing. And then there's things in there like we believe in the literal gathering of Israel. We don't believe in the literal gathering of Israel. So, um, yeah, that's been called off. So, in case you haven't, for been now, <laughs> I guess, you can that. always you can always say that until it's called back on. That's the great thing about being a prophet. Until you can never on. be proven wrong as long as you don't put a date on anything. Well, and as as long as you always say well. That was then. This is now. Well, God you've got the 14 now. fundamentals now as kind of a backup to the Articles <laughs> of Faith. So there's like a whole circle of a circle of life, really. So in Mormonism, you can't go and find find this this creed that says what exactly must you believe to be a Mormon. And, and my argument is de facto because of the importance of the saving ordinances in Mormonism and the importance of the temple. These 15 questions define more what it means to be Mormon than anything else out there than any of the books of scriptures or, or any of that other stuff, because this really sums up the core of what it means to be a Mormon. What you need to believe and what you need to do to be a good Mormon. And that's and that's why I wanted to take this this um and devote a whole podcast to it, because these are extremely important in terms of understanding exactly what 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 Mormons are and what they believe. And I, we 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 got down that rabbit hole on the garments, but I don't we can't under emphasize the importance of the temple to Mormons, both symbolically and and as a religious devotion, because if you can't go to the temple, you are less of a Latter-day Saint, and it's noticeable, and they know who doesn't go, and you won't be able to go to weddings and to, to view those. You won't be able to you go with the youth to do Baptism of the Dead. You won't certain callings either. You won't be able to hold certain callings, so it's, it's something that's very visible and very noticeable. But that that wedding thing is huge because everybody knows who is and isn't there at that wedding. Yeah, so if your whole family is Mormon and you're the only one that can't go to the wedding, you can't. You can't hide that. And I can tell you from personal experience. And you're the outcast. And from the experience of plenty others I've talked to, it's not look kindly. People don't say, oh, well, you must be having a hard time with your faith right now. They take it as a personal and they insult don't say, if you don't oh, go to their wedding. That, that's really sad that you can't go to the wedding. It's like, well, you could go if you wanted to. It's right, your fault right. that you can't go. Absolutely. Now, Amy, you've never been through the temple, right? I've done baptisms for the dead. And I left uh, two weeks after I turned 18. We've had this conversation okay. before, but I I skipped out. So it'll be interesting your take. The rest of us have... have, um, have... So you never really had to sit through these questions? Uh, uh, a few times I sat through plenty of uh, bishop types. Very interviewed. similar. I had a lot of personal PPIs with my family late at night. <laughs> so um, I feel like I've been through... The interrogation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, shall we jump? Should we jump right in? Yeah. You want to talk about changes? Yeah. Let's talk about changes after. Okay. Um, and some of them will come up as we go through, but okay. 
Okay, let's start with number one. Um, I will read number one. Um, so so the, the, the way the mechanics of this goes is right now it's a two-year cycle. So you get issued at Temple Recommend. All bishops and stake presidents. Well, I, stake presidents probably don't have it. The bishops all have a book that has the blanks when in triplicate. You know, they have the canary and the golden rod and all, all that sort of stuff. And golden um, rod? What are you talking about? The, the, what kind of herbal nonsense are you talking about now? Apparently, you guys never herbal? work as a clerk. You golden have, rod? <laughs> you press real hard and goes through all copies. Like when you're getting a traffic ticket. I'll talk on oh, the terms okay. you guys can understand. Right. Thanks, Which is John. fine when you get to the end of the iron rod, then grab hold of the golden rod. <laughs> Keep your hands off your golden rod, please. All right. So, so you go into the bishop or one of the bishop's counselors. You must talk to the bishop if it's your first time. Otherwise, you can talk to one of the bishop's counselors. And they have a book that the church issues that has all the blanks in there that they fill out. And it has these questions printed in the book. Now, I will tell you, there was some debate amongst us. We had to pull these off the internet if we had the right set. And I think that's telling in and of itself that we don't know if we have the right set. Because I said that this is the closest thing the Mormons have to a creed. And once again, this is not publicly available information. The only way to get this information before the internet. Is to go into the inter- interview. Right. Blindly. So, so usually you're alone. Like, say, me as a woman, I would be alone with some priesthood guy, either the bishop or his counselor, in a little office. And they would... Um, ask these questions. Now, they are instructed by the Church Handbook of Instruction to ask these questions and only these questions. However, in practicality, and we'll get in this a little bit more, they deviate from this script, and you really don't have any action. Matthew, yeah, you want to say think, something? Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but I, I think this is I mean, it's sort of like the, you know, the handbook of instruction where they say, well, you know, you know, you don't really have access to it. But I, I would imagine that if you went in and, you know, you knew you were going in for an interview and it was the first time or you wanted to brush up and you want to say, Bishop, I want to know what these interview questions are, that he would share those with you and probably even make you a copy. Um, so I don't think you'd have to be totally ignorant, although maybe a lot of people are. I think that's a good point. The church, uh, and, and the, the, like the farms guys and the apologists like to point this out all the time. The church sort of doesn't, cover up completely, but it likes to push, push things into dusty corners. So it's not like it's completely hidden, but nevertheless, it's so important that it should be made readily available to, to members. And it's sort of, they say, well, it's there, but we don't, you know, this is something that should be on their main website, just like it would be in any other religion saying, these are the things we believe. These are the questions of the temple. And they're not. And this is why they're important to us. Right. And I don't think there's anything really, well, we'll get through it. There's nothing really super crazy in here, but you know, there should be like books written on. Th- these are very important because they're going to keep you out of the temple. Um, I found a little snippet on the internet that's supposedly from the 1999, at least to 1995 version of, um, the instructions for the bishop that went along with these questions. And it says that, um, it tells the bishop to not assume that worthiness to enter the temple at one time is reason for a casual interview later. Discuss the interview questions with each applicant and keep each interview private. And then it also says, when interviewing an applicant for a recommend, do not inquire into personal, intimate matters about marital relations between a husband and his wife. Generally, do not deviate from the recommend interview questions. If during an interview an applicant asks about the propriety of a specific of specific conduct, do not pursue the matter. <laughs> Merely suggest that if the applicant has enough anxiety about the propriety of the conduct to ask about it, the best course would be to discontinue it. 
I'm feeling like I shouldn't hit my wife anymore. <laughs> There's no, your answer. You feel go that go way? ahead and hit her because if you're feeling unsure about not doing it, then uh, that's probably. Is that what he said? If you're not no. feeling good about it. Uh, no, merely. Let's see. Or how about my wife doesn't feel good about it, but I feel fine. If the applicant has enough anxiety about the propriety of a conduct to ask about it, then it should be discontinued. Bishop, should I have sex with my garments off? Well, brother, if uh, you have enough anxiety to ask, then perhaps no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dear. All right. So like I was saying, uh, you talk to a member of the bishopric and they will go through these 15 questions. Then they will sign your recommend. It's a little piece of paper. And then you take the recommend. Or um, it used to be. It has a barcode on it. Yeah, it. it folds up so it fits in your in your wallet. And, and then they, they, it still has a it has a barcode on it, but it's still paper. And then the clerks have to go enter into the computer system oh. to get it registered. If if they don't, it won't be a good one. Then you go to a member of the stake presidency, and they will ask you the exact same fifteen questions again. And you have to have both signatures from a member of the stake presidency, a member of the bishopric, and then your signature for it to be valid. And then the stake clerk has to key it in to the computer system. In listening to what Zelfa said, I have I kind of have a question, and you can direct me towards later in the podcast if you think it's going to work better towards another issue. But the idea of bishops being clergy for counsel, this to me seems like would be the perfect opportunity for said clergy person to offer copious amounts of counsel. Yes, but clergy is untrained, and clergy has oh. no idea what they. I should, know this. How I know they should this. counsel, but. That one thing I hear um, often is, and this is from true believing Mormons, is you know, oh well, you can talk to the bishop, and he can give you so much peace, and he advice. can ask advice, and if you have concerns, don't go to a therapist, go to your bishop, et cetera, et cetera. But so many of these questions that I know from personal experience in my family, there was some really serious things going on in a marriage that accidentally came out in a bishop's interview. Mm-hmm. They had this expectation that there was going to be a lot of counsel and support and advice and guidance, and there was none. And they were left with that. Where does that leave me then? Well, that, there's another, yeah, there's I another need dark help. cloud. Right. The bishop, if you're a woman, the bishop and his counselors can convene a small group, a small council of four or five priesthood holders, and they can excommunicate you. No way. Yeah. Wait, repeat? If you're a woman and you confess to something... Um, now, for, for, for example, um, we, we personally, Zilpha and I know a couple that um, they, before they got married, um, he, 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 he felt her boobs. They, she was disfellowshipped for six months. Um, Based on his admission or her admission? Her admission. Okay. His voluntary admission. Um, that he felt her boobs, but her bishop was a lot stricter than his bishop was. She got this fellowship, so their wedding was called off. But his it bishop was like said to them, very don't, close. don't do that again. But they had to postpone their whole wedding. I'm just, I, I don't, I only illustrate that to show that it's arbitrary. Oh, I agree. Because I know personally of couples that had full intercourse before they, they went to the temple and their bishops authorized them to go through. Well, and John, is, this is one of the, the paradox. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're just throwing stones over here, Matthew. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Matthew. Okay. Well, I was just going to say I think that this is this is one of the paradoxes um, that will repeat itself throughout here. Is that on the one hand, uh, you know, I would argue that these are all fairly vague questions that give someone who is answering them, um, you know, a, a wide amount of latitude to answer them creatively to decide what they mean. That the other edge of that sword is that it gives the bishop and the or the stake president or the counselor almost exactly that same uh, you know latitude. 
Um, I think it's true, and I'm even looking at something here in the Handbook of Instructions, it says interviewers should not in add any requirements to those that are outlined in the Temple, Ren uh, Temple Recommend book. But, you know, they've got, uh, you know, all kinds of discretion to define what each of those things mean. Right. You know, some bishops do, some bishops don't. Um, but, I mean, I think you've just given an example of one that, you know, defines that as being, uh, you know, petting or whatever the word they use for it is something that would keep you out of the temple where other bishops, you know, you have intercourse and that won't. When I was growing up, there was, it was kind of like an underground common knowledge that if you had to confess something really serious and you had, you would just wait for the new bishop. Like you'd wait till you got a good bishop um, so that you wouldn't get slammed because in our stake, there was just, to it was like a crayon box of of uh, consequences. You just never knew what you were going right. to get. Right. Well, that's that, that was where I was getting at. And for you know, for women, the 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 problem is is the bishop can do that on his own. A bishop can excommunicate a woman on her own. There's also disfellowshipping. Um, you would think that excommunication would at least require a stake president. Only if you're hold, hold the priesthood. Um, it seems bizarre. And, and only if you hold the Melchizedek priesthood. Only if you right? hold the Melchizedek no priesthood. Way. Then they have to convene a full council where you're going to have. 15 guys staring down at you. And if you've seen those tables, they are cut so that on the one side, there sits one person. <laughs> on the other side, there can sit five people abreast and then the six a councilman. So, so they basically have the, the stake president is two counselors and then the clerks on, on the, the one side. It is an intimidating and then you thing to be on in. the other side. So, so uh, the point is court of love is the word you're looking for. Oh, right. Personal humiliation and Mormons pay attention to who does not take the sacrament. So the bishop can tell you you can't take the sacrament for three weeks, but everybody's watching. So the consequence to see who of goes out for public to shaming, take care public of the nurse, humiliation, the baby. For if you're disfellowshipped or even what, what do they call it when they don't actually disfellowship you? They just um, um, probation. probation. Um, Formal and informal. The bishop will oftentimes <laughs> tell people you are on informal probation for four weeks. And well, say, informal probation would definitely be formal, right? But but the bishop can say something you like you can't say a prayer. But they don't tell everybody, and in, in Mormon tradition... Yeah, so you tradition, have to say, oh, I can't. They go and ask people to say the prayer, you know, three or four times in a service right at that time. So so the point is, if you don't answer these questions correctly, you face down a lot of public shaming and humiliation. Yeah. All right. Are we, are we ready to get started? God, I'm oh, reliving uh, my childhood. The other thing is that these questions are all asked in a yes-no format. So I remember going to these interviews and just going through yes, yes, yes. Yes. And it just seemed so kind of ridiculous because I didn't want to go into like all the nitty gritty, whatever details. And I felt like the answer was basically yes. So that was just all there was to it. And it was kind of lame. Pointless. Yeah. It was yeah. just like, I don't know. It seemed weird. All right. Well, let's, let's not keep them in anticipation of what we're talking about any longer. <laughs> let's, uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll start with the first one. There's 15 questions. Um, number one. Do you have faith in and a testimony of God, the Eternal Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost? Um, That's so, innocuous. So, so I, I mean, I, as a believer. This is where it's very creedish. Um, and I think this is probably a good question because this defines the central role of Christianity in, in Mormonism, right? I mean, if you don't believe in God, the Eternal Father, and basically this sort of Trinitarian Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, you're not really a Mormon. So, oh, did you say his son Jesus Christ again, or his son Christ? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Get through Jesus in <laughs> there. Why is there even a difference? Well, well that, that just that's what this set of questions says. The, the question is, does actually say his son Christ, which is very strange because nowhere else in Mormonism have I ever heard that turn of phrase. It's always his son Jesus Christ, and you'll see that even and though in the Holy we had Ghost. been through this once before, I still read it that way. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I mean, that's 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 a simple credo belief. I, I mean, I don't I don't have any problem with that. Did you have something to add, Matthew? Well, I, I was gonna take note. I have a, a set of recommend questions. I don't know exactly what the date of them uh, is, but I, I think they're no later than 1996, which is different than what we've got now. The, the first three questions actually used to be wrapped up into one you know, fairly brief question that just said, do you believe in God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, and do you have a firm testimony of the restored gospel? That's the first Three and and one of the things that I had picked up on is that the the, the language has changed subtly, but I I think in an important way. Um, it used to be that they would simply say, "Do you believe in God?" Um, now I don't know whether that means do you believe he exists, do you believe any particular thing about him. Um, but now it's phrased in a way where it says, "Do you have faith in and a testimony of?" Which I think is a significant um, softening of the language. I mean, I, I suppose that you could argue that, you know, testimony as it's commonly understood in the church and phrased, you know, would be, I know, but I, I don't think that's how they mean it here. Um, you know, faith can be nothing more than a hope. And, and you know, from my perspective, I, I think that that's uh, a really good thing. Um, you know, it, as I said when we talked about this before, I have a lot of compassion for a lot of people I know who don't, you know, have the luxury or for whatever reason, you know, can't really be out of the church and need to have a recommend because of their marriage or because, um, you know, family obligations. And it's important to them to be able to sort of maintain their integrity and sense of self, um, but at the same time answer the questions honestly. I think that this allows that to happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, possibly, except for that testimony word that Mormons yeah. take yeah. to mean, like, you know. That's the way Mormons say it, but there's plenty of books that have been written on and talks on testimony saying, you find a testimony in bearing it. Yeah. So a testimony yeah. is sort of something you achieve for at the same time of possessing. So so I, I think in Mormonism, there's that latitude I guess so. of, of what Matthew's saying. It's a squishy concept. It, it is. All right, number two, do you have a testimony of the atonement of Christ and his role as Savior and Redeemer. And, you know, Matthew, you sort of hinted at this one was sort of redundant with the first one. But um, I, I think it does sort of hone it in saying, all right, this is this is a particular aspect of Christianity that you have to buy into to not just be a liberal who says, yes, I believe all religions are good. You know, once you accept the atonement and you say, we have to have Jesus as a Savior and Redeemer, then you really are a full onboard Christian. Yeah. See, I, I would be curious to know how the atonement makes its way into here. Cause like I say that the word, the word or the concept atonement didn't used to be there. I mean, I would love to know what's the process whereby they change these. Do they just get together and say, you know, maybe we could ask a better question or is it, you know, what I think is more likely, you know, they sort of hear from the ground up. Well, you know, we're having trouble with this question or, you know, this seems to be a concern. Um, I mean, when I was active in the church, uh, the atonement was never a concept that bothered me, but I will tell you that I have run into a lot of people who really struggle with that concept. And I, I just wonder whether, you know, there was enough experience with that at the interview level, that that's something that they decided they wanted to ask about particularly. Could be. Maybe. I, I mean, I always wanted really badly to believe, you know, in Jesus as the Redeemer. And I just, I wanted it so badly that, that I thought I believed it, but it was always a struggle for me. But I think also, this is a, a possibility that that these questions are partially used as a teaching device um, and that they want people to know that that's an important 
part of um, of the gospel, and also that as they go down into these questions that deal more with um, morality and with what Mormons would consider sin sinful um, acts, that the atonement is right there um, in your mind. So maybe like to help you on your road to repentance. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that especially these first questions are really sort of catechismatic. Is that, is that a real word? In other faiths, you'd really have a catechism that would have these sort of things where you memorize these responses and these sort of statements of belief. And these first ones really have that feel to them. Mm -hmm. I would, I would even, and going with what you said, Zilpha, I think it's more of, of an identifier of the organization of the LDS church, the use of the word atonement more than anything else. Um, I, because I don't recall, and maybe the church has changed a lot of talk about the atonement um, in the traditional sense of how Christians believe it. I, I personally look at this as like uh, we're signing on to the Christian way that we, we believe in the atonement. Well, you know, when Matthew suggested why did this they make this change, the first thing that came to my mind is maybe um, Elder Maxwell was on the committee because he used to talk about atonement all the time. So it might be just somebody's pet, pet word. Who knows? Be. I think they talk about it a lot. Uh, they, they, they do, yeah. I've yeah. been out a long time. I just remember I didn't. I didn't hear a lot about it and positive in that glorious atonement that that special warm tingly feeling you're have, supposed to have when you think of that you have the opportunity to be forgiven. Um, atonement for me was like that was a bad thing. If you had to pull it, if Jesus had to pull his atonement on you, oh lord. <laughs> I agree with you. A- a- Amy and I, Amy and I are the same age, and when we were young, I I do believe that that was more of an emphasis on the negative side. And probably Amy, since you left the church, the church has tried to refocus on the sort of Christian elements uh, yeah, I more. Think so. so it's probably swung back a little bit more. Well, I still think the idea is out there that if you do something bad that you have to repent for, that you made Jesus oh, yeah. suffer. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah, can in the remember hearing sense. that not that long ago. Yeah. The Christians that I know, my brother-in-law is, I guess, what you would call a born-again Christian. He has just like such this glorious idea of Jesus and the crucifixion and the atonement. I, I sometimes am just like googly-eyed looking at him, <laughs> trying to figure out what kind of Jesus is he even talking about? Because I don't recognize not this character of Jesus and this mechanism of atonement. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be scared to to have to make Jesus atone. Uh-huh. You know, don't make baby Jesus cry Jesus, yeah. by <laughs> sinning. <laughs> okay, number three. Well, one more thing is is this so? This list is from the internet, right? Did yeah. Well, I just think it's interesting they capitalize the A in atonement. The atonement of Christ. That's because you're actually supposed to capitalize every verb involved with a king or a deity in the English language. Hmm. Interesting. Weird. Okay. Right. Fun fact. Wondering. <laughs> All right. Do you have a testimony? Number three. Do you have a testimony of the restoration of the gospel in these latter days? And and th- this is one of those encompassing questions. So we've established, you know, sort of you believe in God, so you're not a, a secularist. Secondly, you're a Christian. And third, if you if you accept the restoration, you're really saying I am a Latter Day Saint. I believe in Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. right? You know Which that you... that implies Joseph Smith and and the the apostasy. You accept that mm-hmm. and the need for a restoration because if there's a restoration, then there was a falling away. Right. So that the... means everybody else is wrong and. And this is the true church. Yeah, these three questions work really well. It sort of establish very, you know, a bulkhead of to what, what Mormonism is. 
But I, I think that this is also a question that gives a lot of wiggle room to people. In other words, what's the absolute minimum that you would have to believe in order to say that you had a testimony of the restoration? I, I think what was said a second ago, that there was a falling away, that there was a restoration of the church. I, I would think a restoration of the priesthood, um, but... I mean, there's nothing about the Book of Mormon in here, which is a, a big issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, certainly nothing about, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, you know, Book of Abraham or um, Book of Moses, uh, any of those other things. I mean, can can you think that those are sort of inspired fiction and still believe in the restoration? I, I, yeah, I think, I think that so. I, I think I know some people who think that. code word for Book of Mormon? It, well, kind of, but I, in a, I'll give why you Why isn't it capitalized, John? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not associated with a king. Oh, good point. Good point. But uh, it also says in these, the latter days. So you're also, you know, saying that you believe that we are in the latter days, whatever that, that means. That's true. But I, I agree with Matthew. These first three have a lot of wiggle room. Now we're about to go off the tracks with number four. Uh-oh. And these are starting to turn dark. Do you sustain? <laughs> There's always a dark turn on Mormon expression. <laughs> <laughs> Do you sustain the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the prophet, seer, and revelator, and as the only person on the earth who possesses and is authorized to exercise all priesthood keys? Do you sustain members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators? Do you sustain the other general authorities and local authorities of the Church? This OMG! I just have to say that they capitalized... Prophet, seer, and revelator. When they talked about the president of the church, did you and say they, OMG? yes, she certainly did. <laughs> and then well, they we, they used lowercase letters on prophets, seers, and revelators for the twelve apostles, and that is just interesting. Well, we just learned on the last podcast that he's uh, a prophet, priest, and king, right? I guess yes. Yeah. It's all so, coming together. Sheesh. Oh, okay, so here's where one, two, and three could be from any you know Christian denomination. Uh, four is when you're getting into this is for you, Tom. Culty sort of behavior. <laughs> because at this point, th th this thing has no particular value statement or belief statement that you have to acquiesce to. This is merely a subjugation of yourself to authority. And it, it starts from the top, and then it goes all the way down. Local authorities, it doesn't even have the courtesy to define who those local authorities are. What you have to, to obey them on... Nor is there anything in here on what you can conscientiously object to. Right. If you if you are one of those people who knows something about a bishop who's about to be put into their calling and they ask for a sustaining vote and you keep your hand down, does that mean you cannot get your temple recommended? Yeah, and we need to talk a little about the word sustain. There is an actual physical action of sustaining where you raise your hand, you do it in conference, you do it in state conference. Raise your hand to the square and, and uh, say, yes, I support these guys. Right, and... But sustain is also packed with other meaning in the church, which is that you will do what they ask you to do. The Mormon church is a very top-down authoritarian organization, and it's based on the fact that you are obeying the commandments of your file leader, much like the military is organized. And there is this culture of the, that you must do what your local authorities say, even if it's not totally in agreement with what you think is right. Well, and sustain means more than just obedience. It means Uplift supporting them and, in their yeah, and, and they would say things like doing. you're not allowed to talk bad about them. You're not allowed to question them. You know, and there is no like mechanism in Mormon meetings for 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 saying, okay, here's the idea. Let's have some feedback on whether or not this is a good idea, or you have other ideas. It's usually very top down communication. 
Well, and I think that this is something that, that a lot of members really struggle with, and it ends up being a way that they really show their faith. Um, I, mean, I, I know a lot of people and can remember myself, you know, there being decisions or things that were said by a bishop at, or, you know, at a local level that, you know, just seemed counterintuitive or even wrong. And, you know, I, I agree that the culture's there that you're supposed to fall in line, but I don't think people do that unthinkingly. I think that there are a lot of folks who really struggle and end up doing that, and and so it's sort of a nuanced thing at the you know at the individual level. But but I agree that this is clearly something that you know somebody you know from the outside looking in would say, okay, well if you have this doctrine on the one hand that says you know whatever God requires is right, so He could require absolutely anything, and then here we have His representatives who are going to tell you exactly what He wants. They could tell people to do just about anything, and they, there's a, a component of the population that would do it. And and you have an excellent point. Members of the church are creative, bright people. They're not automatons. Members of the church are not automatons. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and um, but but the problem is the church is structured so they have to act like they are. You know, you're free to believe whatever you want, but you can't. There's no mechanism or there's no acceptance to say. You know, I don't believe with our stakes policy of doing this, so I'm not going to go down that line. I don't agree with the church on Prop 8. Any of those things get you into deep, deep trouble. And I think this question from the church's perspective is written saying, you are not allowed to do that and go to the temple. I think that's right. Your praxis is more important than your doxy. I would be curious to know how this issue, you brought up Prop 8 and Instantly, my mind went to Marie Osmond just recently getting married in the temple to her first husband. Yes. And then I remember reading maybe a month ago or less that on a radio station, she was doing an interview and she was, and she said that she supported the rights of gays to marry. I guess her daughter's gay. How oh, wow. is this little question for, is she just going to be the Mormon glitterati and she gets away with supporting whatever she wants and it doesn't matter? But Probably. this would seem to be a direct defiance to question four. And how do you get away with that? Uh, well, the church just doesn't want to create. The church itself has come out and said um, in statements in Utah that there are they are for recognition of like partner recognized um, health care where, where you have what is it called? Domestic partnership. Really? Um, yeah. What? Um, but I yes. she, she won't get in trouble for that. No. But could she answer this as a yes and have it be known as a truthful answer? Well, like we were saying before, it depends on her bishop. And, and, True and no bishop's going to push on uh, Marie Osmond. But, but I haven't heard any stories about people losing their temple recommends over Prop 8. I mean, maybe I've just overlooked it, but there were plenty of people who opposed it and maybe even actively opposed it. I don't think they got into taking anybody's recommend away over that. And let's not forget that the church wasn't officially involved in that. So how could you oppose the church? <laughs> I'm by so glad Prop there's 8? a lawyer here today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Number five, do you live the law of chastity? Now, we, we circled around this one quite a bit in our preamble. Um, the, one of the problems I have with this one is the law of chastity is not really defined here. Now, someone from the outside could look at this and say, oh, well, the person has the right to sort of define that themselves. And if that was the case, I'd be all down with this. That, that would be fine. That we believe in living a chaste life and then you yourself. But many bishops, and I'm sure every one of us here has had experience, add things to that question well and it's like the the little thing that i that i talked about where the bishop said if if someone has to 
bring up something and they question their conduct, then then the bishops would say, well, you probably shouldn't do that then. So if someone says, well, I'm chaste, I only, you know, I only have sex with my spouse, but we have been doing a lot of oral sex lately. Is that okay? And the bishop could say, well, if you feel uncomfortable or if you have anxiety, then you probably shouldn't do it. But this, I'm thinking more of, I, I think the practice of questioning married couples has gone out the window. Yeah, but if 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 someone is not sure because it's not clearly laid out, what is chaste the, the, and unchaste and within a marriage? Because it's never talked about. If they had a mother who counseled her back from her days of instruction and said, "Don't no do this," oral this sex. is exactly. Well, th- there's a letter that that went out. It's easy to find on the internet um, under the pre- signature of the first pregnancy. I think around seventy eight, maybe eighty, that said. Oral sex falls in one of those unholy practices that should not be engaged in by Latter-day Saints. There was a huge backlash, and they printed a retraction. They didn't actually retract it, but the church sent out another circular about a year later or so that said, do not ask married couples about their own private sexual practices. Yeah, but right here you're saying, do you live the law of chastity? Well, how would a couple know if they if they were or not? Well, that's that's one of my complaints all the time is that y- it comes with, with masturbation. What is the church's policy on masturbation? Do it and die. The, 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 the policy is don't do it. But more specifically, what is the disciplinary action that should be taken against a wanker? There's no clear and, nothing. And well, there there are people that I know who've been disfellowship. There's people, people who been can't sent get home their temple missions. recommends. There's other people who've been left on missions. There's people who can't get temple recommends. It's just all over the map. There's a lot of bishops who say don't do it. There's bishops who will who will. Um, punish people for it, you know, so the church does not have a policy on what to do with those sort of, so we always used to make fun of the Catholics for saying, you know, 14 Hail Marys for this, but there was a reason for that, you know, so people just didn't make it up as they went along. Well, and here's another thing, it says do you live the law of chastity? So if two weekends ago you had sex with a prostitute and you repented for it, you know, like you said your little, I'm sorry prayer to Jesus, and then you came here and they said, do you live the law of chastity? You'd be like, yeah, I do. I certainly do. <laughs> I'm doing my darndest. Yeah. It's a daily struggle, day by day, one day at a time. Yeah, my, my sense is that masturbation is not a big deal anymore, and I, I may be totally wrong about this, but I feel like that there was either a talk to or a letter or something that went around that said that recommends were not to be Denied on that basis. I mean, really? I, I think I, still, I have a friend thing. who's still denied um, on that <laughs> basis. You mean there's not uniform application of principles throughout the leadership of the church? No, shocking. I've watched for those. I have what? not seen anything where they've said, you know, masturbate. And I think they should. I think they should send out a letter saying this is their policy on masturbation. But I think there's a tendency to say, oh, if we say we're not going to excommunicate them, then then game on. Then right? everybody's just people gonna are going to go at it, you know. Wanking it in sacrament meeting when they get bored right, just to right. stay awake. I'm sure that that's the line of thinking that they, the church does this all the time, in my opinion. They play the ambi- ambiguousness so that they can claim on one hand, we haven't said, but on the other hand, they will use that spirit of, oh my gosh, this is bad to, to their advantage. Matthew, what gives you, what, what, what led you to believe it's not that big of a deal anymore? I, yeah, I, I've seen something. I unfortunately I can't put my finger on exactly what I saw, mm. but I could swear that I'd read in the last. Uh, it's somebody like that I put my finger on it. Um, but I could swear that I'd seen in the last twelve months that there had been some kind of circular that said that you, uh, recommends are not to be denied on that basis. Um, I'd, I'll I'd have to look if and see if I can find it. Somebody out there has a copy. I'd love to see it. Okay, number six. Is there anything in your conduct relating to members of your family that is not in harmony with the teachings of the church? And I, I think this is a really good one. 
It's vague, but sure, it's great. It's vague, yeah. You know. Um, and, but I actually, like I said, I think the vagary is actually a good thing if they, t- if they treated it that way. I, I believe if these, if these recommends kind of went in and it was more of a conversation about what it meant to be righteous or, or what it meant to strive and the bishop used it that way as sort of a teaching moment to reevaluate, that'd be a good thing. But, you know, number four shows right off the hand that they're not interested fully in that. There's no and then, conversation. And then, you know, this can be manipulated. So, so it's good that people, um, Treat their families well, you know. I happen to know that this is so ambiguous and so like, ah, uh, wow, this one actually stings a little bit to read it, to be honest with you. Be- because there's people who treat their families poorly but still go on in their merry way and they're calling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we've talked about before on the podcast, everybody know, you know, you could be a stake president. And be spending 45, 50 hours a week at church in addition to the 45, 50 hours a week spending at your job, never seeing your family at all, but you'll be lauded as one of the best parents, you know, in the stake. Um, so, so I think sometimes conducting yourself in the church can lead you to de facto neglect members of the family. But I mean, that's sort of a, a side issue. Well, when I look at conduct, I'm thinking it just about how without getting into too many deep and personal experiences, there was not a lot of harmony in my family growing up. Um, so this is just, it's its an interesting, number six is an interesting well, they, one for me. They added it. Did, or did, no, no, it's not that one yet. No? But number six, to, to your point, Amy, it's an excellent point because I was giving him a, a big kiss on this one. But, you know, to a lot of ex-Mormons, this this one is, is, is biting because, um, you know, we've once again known lots of people who have been written out of wills who have been told that, you know, by their mothers, they never want to talk to them again, who have been treated like garbage for merely saying, I don't believe anymore. I'm not, you know, and this, yeah, this question says related to members of your family. It doesn't say those who believe, you know, so members out there, you still need to treat your apostate offspring. with. Yeah, but it says that it's like not, that. not in harmony with the teachings of the church. And they might think that that is in harmony to well, treat your I'm apostate gonna, children I'm going to hope poorly. that it's not. I think this is one of those questions, again, that's catechistic or didactic. I mean, I don't think anybody's having their recommend withheld on the basis of this. Yeah. I mean, Unless you know, a bishop really or a stake serious. president's not in a position to be policing this. I mean, how are they going to ever know whether there's abuse going on or whether a spouse is mean to another spouse? I, I mean, I, I, I get the concept that you'd say, well, it'd be great if they could somehow enforce it and it's hurtful that there's, here's this terrible abusive guy and he holds her, you know, holds a recommend, but I, mean, I don't know how you police that. So why keep it in then? Well, well just as a teaching mechanism. I have to seen say, it. I've seen it used actually. Help people consider their own actions and their family i know of an instance um Maybe. where where the the man was very verbally abusive to his wife demeaning and the bishop called him in and, and said you know you're not in harmony with number six and if you don't stop him. that behavior you know i'm going to pull your temple recommend so i i think and that's an instance where the bishop used it you know in a, in a good way to to sort of browbeat you guys he actually behaved like a righteous bishop yeah yeah there's a lot of great bishops out there all right <laughs> number seven do you support, affiliate with, or agree with any group or individual whose teachings or practices are contrary to or opposed to those accepted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? No one within the sound of our voices <laughs> can say yes to this. No, definitely not. What, what I think there's a weasel word in here on the part of the or church, say no. and, and that's accepted by the church. You know, once again, we have to oh. beforehand acquiesce to whatever they might come up with out of their minds, um, but whatever Curtin and McConkie tells them is acceptable. That's for you lawyers out there. Um, 
No, this one actually, um, we know the history of this one. It's been written about in Sunstone or Dialogue. Um, this was put in about 30 or 40 years ago and it was to, it was to sort of weed out those members of the church who were part of polygamist, um, cults, but still going to the church, especially their children. There was a practice among some of the, the, the polygamist families still is. I think the Kingston still do this. As a matter of fact, they send their kids to, regular LDS wards, send them on missions. Then when they come home, then they go, they take a plural wife and they leave the church. So the church is sort is used this to say, really, it's about polygamy. It's, it's not about things like Mormon, Mormon stories. <laughs> <laughs> but, but don't you think it's interpreted that way now? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I've, I, I I've read into this several times with, with, uh, our endeavor here. Yeah. Well, in the handbook, it says to be especially wary of those people who have apostate family members. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. I, I forgot to ask this last time because I, I don't <laughs> live in Utah, but have any of you had any experience with any of, the, any of these sort of self-affirmation groups that have been popular out there? There was some kind of letter that was read over the pulpit in the last, I think, six or seven years discouraging people from associating with those. Anybody know more about that? No, I just know that they also have it in the handbook of instructions. I, I don't know what's fully feeding that. They pop up here just like they do everywhere else. And I, I think it's just the church getting their panties in a while. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, I, I haven't really heard of anything specific. I, I think it's, it's sort of the, where the church is sort of negative in their psychological control and sort of cultish, where the church tries to put down any sort of individuals meeting on their own outside the control of the church, things like study group. If people get together and have a Bible study, the church will, will, will stomp on that or, or conferences or just anything they will, that they don't have direct influence over. They'll try to, they'll try to water out. See, I, I actually encountered something like this I, years ago when I lived in Utah. So it's been more than 10 years ago. And I'm not even sure if this is what they were directing it at, but it was one of these things where they would hold the meeting late at night and they, you know, they darken the lights and they'd turn on some, you know, cheesy Celine Dion music and you'd sit eight inches away from somebody and you'd talk about your feelings and yeah. they'd kind of go late into the night to, you know, kind of manipulate you being tired. And I, I, I've got to assume that that has something to do with it, but it, that's an aside anyway. Well, you could fit the Book of Mormon between you, so it's okay, right? Yeah, I don't know. If I'm, you go lengthwise. How do you know that you could? <laughs> I'm sure, oh, because sure, you said eight inches. That would be plenty of room. I, I'm sure that things like that pop up all, all the time. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot of innuendo packed. Uh, eight inches. <laughs> Number eight. Do you strive to keep the co covenants you have made to attend your sacrament and other meetings and keep your life in harmony with the laws and commandments of the gospel? Now, that, this, this is really a reference to the temple. In the temple, you make... Um, a these five cycles of commitments to these um, these laws of the gospel, they call them. Um, so it's it's really a... Well, but they have a whole other specific question devoted to the covenants in the temple. So are they talking about the baptismal covenants that they, that they mention all the time but are kind of vague? I would say this is like even covenants down to you're taking the sacrament. Yes. Now, what covenant is that? Oh, boy. it's in the sacrament prayer. To Isn't take upon I'm you the name of Jesus Christ, Christ and remember Him always. Oh yeah, and, and keep His commandments. But you notice they also which say have been given you sacrament and other meetings. This is you can't weasel out of going to your other assigned meetings. Yeah, you can't just hit Relief Society and be done with it. No, you can't. 
Sacrament um, and other meetings. And it's it's really some of these questions circle back and are sort of vague. Keeping your life in harmony with the laws and commandments and commandments of the gospel. You know, um, I don't even know why they put that in here because, like, all this other stuff deals with. Like, I'd like to see that. somebody answer no on eight and yes on everything else. <laughs> I, I think it again. They're just trying to encourage people and teach people. I mean, by putting the word "strive" in there, I mean that's that's you know such a vague term. You could drive a truck through it. Well, mm-hmm. I'm trying. Okay, well that's good enough. Well, that's the thing is this question seems to be like a throwaway question. Okay, uh, number nine. Are you honest in your dealings with your fellow man? Fellow men. Now, fellow men. Well, fellow th- men. this is where I'm sure this is written by committee. If you look at number five again, do you live the law of chastity? Why don't they say, do you live the law of honesty? You know, like, why why the cumbersome prose here? Are you honest in your dealings with your fellow man? It's fellow men. Fellow men. Your fellow men? Yeah. F- fellow men. <laughs> your fellow men. Your right. fellow men. Um, you're, you're right. Um, honesty's good. Yeah. All right, anybody have anything against honesty? Nope. Let's come no, in. No, but can, can you be involved in an MLM and answer that? <laughs> Can uh, you sell noni or whatever? This a, a one pair? always made my mom. This one made my mom really mad when my um, my biological father he was excommunicated in like 1975, I guess, and he was recently rebaptized. And although I don't know what the questions are for being rebaptized after being excommunicated, but she threw this one. I don't know how he could have ever answered that question with the affirmative being honest with your fellow men and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like she was really pissed about this one. How about this? Can you be an illegal immigrant and answer this? Ooh, uh, yes. Now there's a good question. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a toughie. Uh, the church no one says, wants to take a whack at it? No, the, well, I'll tell you, the church says yes, you can. The, the church has come out with several statements saying That's true. saying they, that, that the they law can... should back off and that their people should be fine. We got to bring them to the gospel. Got to get them in. Yep. Shouldn't yep. matter if they're illegals. The, the, a lot of the success in the states comes from the Hispanic missions. Okay. Um, number 10. Are you a full tithe payer? Now this is this is this is like the uh, second big hook. The first one is number four, where you basically say you have to obey your leaders all the time. And this one is really key. Uh, actually, this is the third hook. There's 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 three there's three things that are really paramount in here. I think the Wait, obedience. Four. No, three. Four. Obedience, sex, <laughs> and money. And I would say the word of wisdom, which is. Oh, okay. Up. That's Zilfa's obedience, right. though, too. Zilfa's right. Well, I'm saying obedience not to any laws, obedience to, to authority. The... So say, we'll oh, right, do right. whatever you tell us to do. Um, and, and tithing is, is a real killer. And this is what I think, I think the word of wisdom and tithing keep most people out of the temple. I think, um, people lie about chastity the most, but, um, but tithing, um, and, and, and here's another weasel thing. Um, they say full tithe payer, but the church never, ever defines exactly what a full tithe is. Right. 10% of your increase. 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 And nobody really knows what that means. Depends on your bishop. Well, and I, you know, I'll use the example that I've heard a lot of times in talks, people talking about like if you sell a house or sell a car or somehow you get a windfall like in stocks, you should pay. Stocks is a great one. Everyone's clear that if you sell stocks and make money, you should pay it. I have not heard one single person say that if you take a loss on stocks, you can deduct that from your tithing. Or that they need to cut you a refund check. Right. 
You know, if you if you sell your house at a loss, you can say, "Hey, I'm clear on tithing for the next six years because I just you know took this bath." Yeah. You know, so this is I, I'm, that's why I'm saying the church is sort of weaselly on this, and they leave it they leave it ambiguous because I knew uh, I, I've known more than one, but one guy in particular, he always paid an extra hundred dollars a month, a hundred dollars a month beyond what his full tithing was, and he was a grocer because he wanted to make sure he wasn't just leaving anything out. Just to make sure. You know, so and the church just merely cashes those checks. Um, well, John, you made a great point last time about uh, taxes being paid in Europe. Uh, you want to mention that again? Yeah, the problem the problem is, um, I, I said that a couple of years ago, I did an exercise and I did some extrapolation. I, I knew basically how much we'd spent, you know, on on goods through our card. I knew about what the tax rate was and I knew what I'd spent on property taxes and my registration for my cars. <laughs> so I went through and calculated what I paid in taxes and it was about 45%. Of my income went to some sort of tax or, the, or governmental fee, and in the in Europe it's 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 worse. You know, it can push seventy percent sometimes. So if you're if you have a seventy percent tax rate and you're paying on gross, you're paying one third of your take home income into tithing, and that's just not sustainable. It's not doable. So this is one thing where the church sort of knows that, so they won't come out and say you pay a gross because they know they're asking for a lot more than 10%, but they'll leave it ambiguous because some people will. They know if they said, no, 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 an increase has to do with your net income. You can deduct, you know, um, you know, interest payments and you can deduct this stuff and losses. Then they know they'd immediately drop their tithing receipts. Um, I've got a, the set of interview questions from the 1857, um, Uh set and, just they do mention tithing in it, but the thing that they say is, "Do you pay your tithing promptly?" They don't say, "Do you pay a full tithe?" They say, "Do you pay it promptly?" Well, and in, in in that time period, you should also know that they assessed people. Oh. So the bishops would say, "Okay, Brother Smith owes us this much," and they kept it they on the give books. Give him a bill. So so oh they would my. they would keep and say, "Brother," and they would announce, "Brother Johnson is three years arrears of his tithing payments." Yikes! No um, sacrament for him. Right, right. You know, because at the time, the secular economy and the religious economy were were, were merged. Um, yeah, I, I I agreed with what you said last time. I think this is one of the pe- the things that really keeps people out, um, you know, because they can't pay for whatever reason. But I'll I'll tell you that I also think that there's a rising tide um, of people who are declining to pay. I mean, I'll say for myself that I stopped paying tithing a long time. I don't know about a long time, but certainly in advance of my decision um, to you know not be involved in the church. And and a huge component of that was what they do with that money. I mean, on the one hand, certainly I, I know people have family members that have had wonderful tithing experiences, talk about the blessings that they've had. But on the other hand, I think about, you know, Sister Gomez down in, you know, uh, Honduras or whatever, paying her 10% and that representing a real hardship to her and a major sacrifice. Um, and then that money goes to an organization that spends $3 billion on a mall. Um, you know, so there are, there are a lot of things in there that I don't really get worked up or offended about, but that one really bothers me. That, that really bothered me morally that, that money has to be paid in in order to get entrance to see marriages, to, you know, have your ordinances done. And then that money goes off into business ventures. So that, that offended me. And I was the reason ultimately I stopped paying. Right. It's almost like those old Catholic indulgences that you have to pay money to get um, saving. Yeah. Um, It's a little, it's a little bit money changers to me. But also, I mean, I, when I was, um, uh, okay. So for, for the last year or so, we, 
we didn't go to church very often or very faithfully, but we still paid a tithing because, and not, we didn't, not a full tithing, not a full tithing, but we figured, okay, so if we're going and they're using the building and we're using the building and the electricity and the bathroom and, and the carpet is getting worn and all this stuff, then at least we should pay something to cover those costs. And I think that's, that's fair. Yes, but we, they we don't were, need the money. We were like Matthew actually long before we quit going to the church. We, drastically scaled back on our tithing. We scaled back, but then we kept paying tithing after we stopped going to church because we weren't fully out, even though we knew it wasn't true. Oh, I was believed it wasn't true. I was just going to say my stepmother, this was the one, like you said, number 10 and 11 tithing and a word of wisdom. Tithing was a big, big issue for her. She came from a family of great financial means and it bothered her. Tithing was very, significant um and she had a huge problem even in as far back as the 70s i mean it's not anything recent um she refused to pay her tithing she chose to send 10 percent to a children's charity and that got her kicked off this list every single time she went in for a temple recommend interview right. was that she's just firmly i'm not going to pay my tithing to the church i believe i will pay my tithing to this children's organization, I support this family. This is what they did, da, 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 and they wouldn't. They were they didn't count it. Nope, didn't it's count. It wasn't good enough. She didn't have faith. She uh, was being greedy. She was. She's being greedy by giving ten percent to the children's organization. Why not to Jesus? Come on now, you well, should be giving well, it think, to the Lord. I think it church. was. I think it was Martha uh, Toscano who recently said that um, you know the younger generation of the church is not going to con continue to finance it, excuse me, in its current form. Um, and I know there are a number of people who I know would say, well, that's going to force the church to become more universal. It's going to force it to change. I, I don't think so. I think it's just going to become smaller. But uh, I think it will be interesting to see if the younger mm -hmm. generation continues to finance it in its current form. Yeah. The church still has a lot of money, um, but wow. A lot of it's in the baby boom generation, though, I, I think. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of it comes from their, their interests and their holdings, the yeah, they, land and Properties. But see, this is sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say this is my theory about why they don't spend more money on humanitarian efforts, though. I think that they've got very smart people who are looking at the trends and are looking at the future of their income and are saying, right now is when we make hay. This is this is when we've got this huge baby boom generation. They're faithful tithe payers. We're never going to have income like we're having now. We can see the future, and that's the younger people who are paying less. So that's why we're going to hoard this money. That's why we're going to build malls. That's why we're going to invest in farms and put it in bank accounts rather than you know spend it on human humanitarian efforts. I, I think that's what that's about. Probably, probably not a bad idea, actually. Tith tithing and its history are probably a topic for another day because there's a lot of stuff to be unpacked yeah, there. Yeah, we definitely but, should. Uh, no, no, it, it's, it's, it's yeah. good. Uh, the only thing I would say in sort of a, you know, the ongoing debate of the true church, which I've said before, is sort of a, a stupid question. doesn't have any meaning. But I, I would say, I'm not a religious man, but I would say probably my number one rule for a religion is they can't accept money in exchange for salvation. Um, and ultimately, I think this is the most cynical thing on this list and, and the most damnable thing on the list for the church is if you are requiring people to pay money in exchange for saving ordinances, you can not even enter the, the realm of being a true church in my mind. So if anybody wants to find a reason from John Larson to leave the church, that's it right there, that they're asking for tithing in order to get into the temple. The church. Testify. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's got to stop. 
All right, number 11, do you keep the word of wisdom? And of course, if you get Mormons together, they'll always debate about what the word of wisdom actually means. We, we were, had that discussion. We were at a family barbecue the... tonight, and they don't agree. So Yeah, so my sister said, no, you cannot have caffeine caffeine and my mom said oh yes you can have caffeine you just can't have coffee and tea and someone else said no you can't have hot oh that was you <laughs> i said you can't have soup <laughs> you can't have hot you can't have hot drinks you can't drink your soup can't put it in a mug <laughs> my mom is a total diet coke addict i just spent a week with her down um, in southern utah and she's struggling to break her addiction she's like limiting her caffeine intake and and she's talking about it and she's you know we i mean it's like an obsessive it's like a drug and i realized even though I drink coffee, I drink so much less caffeine than my mother does. Right. And that's just astounding to me mm-hmm. that, I mean, I don't drink coffee. I would, I don't even drink, I don't drink coffee every day. And even when I do, I don't even drink a full cup. And she could drink, what are those, two liters, those big ones? Big gulps. In a whole day. Well, here's what, yes. here's what really the whole surprised bottle. me. I, yes. I think I've mentioned this before. I, I moved back here. I'm in Utah County. I work in Utah County. I drink two or three cups of coffee a week. And the thing I like about coffee is there's only one ingredient in coffee. Coffee. And water. Gold. <laughs> Gold. But I'm surprised that Mormons who are actually sort of preachy, who drink these rock star and five-hour energy and all these- Well, and even sip on a, a thing of sugar Coke all day long. Right. And it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just amazing to me. Anyway, I don't want to be in condemning the word of wisdom. But okay. So what else is involved in the word of wisdom? Tobacco. We, we've talked about things. For, for Mormons, it means they can't drink alcohol. They can't smoke. They can't drink- um, they they can't drink coffee or tea. Now, interestingly, and tea's getting squishy. And drugs, no crack. Yeah, no, no, no crack, no meth. But you can do like some kind of fen-fen deal. Prescription drugs are okay. Oh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> so, um, in the eighteen fifty seven version, the question about the word of wisdom, all they have is, "Have you been intoxicated with strong drink?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's not, "Did you have drink?" Uh, it was talking drink. about moderation, which yes, I have am been intoxicated? all for that. The word of wisdom has been very, yeah, amen, very right? malleable. Um, and, and people look at it right now like it's rock solid, and it, it has not been through the history of the church. It has changed over and over again. Now, this is, this is one of those things, I think, where people want to be commanded in all things, and they want to have a list that they can check off. And I think that the, the mischief of it that's caused that to be you know, such a difficulty is that they turned out to be right about tobacco. Tobacco is really bad for you. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything else in there is wrong. Um, alcohol doesn't turn out to be bad for you. Um, coffee doesn't, tea, tea doesn't turn out to be bad for you. Um, you know, it turns out that maybe all the carbs and weed aren't as, you know, bad as meat. Um, you know, if I could, you know, reach up and study the ark for a second, I know that they don't want advice from me, but I, I think that they would have a much easier piece of ground to defend here if they would just say, we're not trying to say that, this, you know, that there are necessarily health benefits from this. This is just something that people do to show their devotion to God. It's the same reason that, Joe's, uh, that Jews don't eat pork. It's the same reason that Hindus, well, are similar, you know, don't eat cows. We're just showing devotion. What can you say in, in response to that? Yeah, but, it's kind of know, a firmer rock to stand on, just yeah. saying, this is what God wants you to do. And that's it. Okay. Number 12. Do you have any financial or other obligations to a former spouse or children? If yes, are you current in meeting those obligations? This is the most recent question. It was added probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and this one has to do with paying child support. Um, which, which is, a, which is a good thing. I mean, I, I can see both sides of this. I can see that it's a good thing that members of the church, if they're going to um, actively participate, should do this. 
But I also say, is this really the church's business? I mean, child I would, support is a is a highly complicated court thing. Well, I would say the reason this is on there is they want to make sure that the church is there is not putting out to support a family whose husband is now wanting to be remarried and is going to the temple to start his new other sacred family right. and isn't paying his child support, but yet the church is, you know, paying her mortgage and helping her with her grocery bill and her light bill. I can see that being the only reason that would... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this isn't just child support. This is spousal support, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just sort of, if you if you only have 15 questions, I can see that this becomes important. The church deals with this all the time, but there's other things just like this. And does the church really want to get in this business? It's... It is sort of... Well, does this really have to be on this list of requirements to get into the temple? But I see Amy's point that, you know, if if the person is going in to start a new family... Well, let's make sure they're already they're taking care of the family that they've already got going, mm-hmm. or that they've yeah. that they're responsible for. This yeah. question has the feeling of of one individual or a couple just getting a real bee in their bonnet that this ought to make it onto the list. I mean, I don't think right. that they do get into parsing this, and I think I mentioned before. I mean, I, I've been paying child support for you know, fifteen years, and most of that time held a temple recommend, and I was never asked this question. Really? Because I had a, a family member who was actually kept from going to the temple for not paying um, child support that he had, it was like 15 years delinquent or something enormous that he, he had to try to catch to up clear, on. He was in his 60s. His children were in their 30s. And he, so, so <laughs> it was, I mean, he should have paid it. Don't get me wrong. But, but it was like, like his children the were children were already grown up and he had to back pay all of this um, money, which is a significant amount. And he had health problems. But, but, His wife had health problems. Wait, let's, he let's wanted to get sealed with her. And she's like almost on death's door. But and they so let it was him like, go to the temple. He was a temple worker. Yes. Oh, that's true. They just oh wouldn't let him get sealed. They just wouldn't let him be sealed. That's true. That Couldn't he just slip in and no one was looking? No, because he had to petition. It was more complicated. Yeah, that's bizarre. He had bizarre. temple divorces. And but that so was I think the they, reason. I think they will enforce it if they know about it. I just don't right. think they ask about it. I, I, well, I think, I think I'm going to give them, the I'm going to put it in their win column. I mean, I think their heart is in the right place, I guess. I agree. All right. Number 13. If you have previously received your temple endowment, do you keep the covenants you have made in the temple? Do you wear the garment both night and day as instructed in the endowment and in accordance with the covenants you made in the temple? I really think this is just because they've already asked about covenants because I already talked about that, but this is really part of what you covenant to do is wear the temple in, to wear the garment. I think this is just really the you must wear your garments question. Yeah, but also, I think they're re-emphasizing the covenants that you made in the temple, that they want you to to remember the, those things. Like, um, they're pretty. What 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 was the list I, that Mike? I know, said? but when I'm sitting in the interview and I'm listening to him, and I'm not that much different than everybody else, the guy says to you, "You're not looking at the words. Uh, do you keep your covenants you made in the temple? Do you wear the garments both right night and day?" When you say yes, you're only ask, answering the garments question because that's the last thing you heard. I guess, but. But I mean, because because the covenants thing has already been been done. What, now, what were you asking about, Mike? Well, when Mike was on uh, when the original recording, he had this list of succinct um, terms that that um, dealt with each of the covenants in the temple. Oh, he had the five covenants, and I don't. That's probably a discussion for another day. But um, yeah, you're supposed to keep them, and they're, they're like the law of obedience and the law of sacrifice, sacrifice, the law of, and they're, they're, Ch- chastity. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. 
Okay, number fourteen is the is the is the catch all. Have you have there been any sins or misdeeds in your life that should have been resolved with priesthood authorities but have been have not? So you've weaselled your way through these questions so far. Ah, we're gonna go at you one more time, you know. And th- this is one where you can feel. Do you keep the love chastity? I keep the love chastity. Have you ever done anything? <laughs> Ooh, maybe that should have been resolved with a priesthood authority. But how are you supposed to know what's supposed to be resolved with a priesthood authority? That's why this is so tricky. If you have, where's to the ask. list for that? If you have to ask, then yeah. In you- in one of the stakes I lived in as a student, <laughs> they asked another question right after this. I, I I promise you, I'm telling no lies. They said, in the same words, they said, "Have there been any sins or misdeeds in your life that you have resolved with priesthood authorities? If so, tell us about them." They wanted you to retell everything. So that's one of those instances. It was where- before we got married. Yeah. That's before my time. Wait, 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 wait. Repeat that story. They they <laughs> ask you to tell them. This was written or this was just this his little what they added extemporaneous. What the state guy asked. One us. of the stakes I lived in as a student, I always asked the question, do you, do you masturbate? They just asked that straight out. They said, it was after, do you live the law of chastity? Do you masturbate? Um, um, another stake, um, the, the, the stake that we were living in when we got married, they asked all sorts of things. Um, and I've mentioned this in the podcast before. They asked about, I don't know the polite terms for all this stuff, but they asked about sex acts specifically. Do you do it on, with her on top? And if well, so, why? It's like, have like, you ever? Do you touch her here? Do you touch her here? Do you insert this thing what? here? What? I, I, I kid you oh, not. Oh, I believe you, but why? Just to make and they sure. only scheduled that for a half hour. <laughs> they, they 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 shot through those lightning quick. He sure did. But I guess, no I guess, no 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 no. I didn't even know you could do that. Thanks for the thanks for the tip there, brother. Well, I'm thinking about going through all your past transgressions. I mean, I'll be happy. We should have a I podcast devoted to our pastor. No, It'll do it, be like the opening of the Scientology files. Are you kidding Everyone. me? It would be like we'll invite nothing. Me back if you do. What, when to define past? All right. Um, Yesterday. <laughs> no, number 15. Do you consider yourself worthy to enter the, well, the Lord's house and participate in temple ordinances? And to me, there should be one temple recommend question, and it should be this one. All this other stuff can be done away with. I mean, if you consider yourself worthy to enter the Lord's house and participate in the temple ordinances, good enough. I mean, the church is always keeping things on an elementary level. They're going through this stuff all the time. Do we need anything more than this? Well, they, You're they asking have the wrong people. I think I think this is the question. Oh wait, Matthew's trying to say something. Go I'm ahead. S- Matthew. I'm sorry to talk over people. Um, they have made one nice change to this. It used to that this older list I'm looking at said, "Do you consider yourself worthy in every way?" Yes, um, in every way. And they've they've you know eliminated that language. And I think I told the story before of knowing somebody who had been apparently worthy for. 20 or 30 years and she couldn't get past this question and so decided to not go in. And so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that they must have had enough people who were sort of the scrupulosity types who said to themselves, well, maybe not in every way. And it kept them out and you know, they eliminated the language, which I think that's good. I had a hard time with this question back when I was a good kid. I could answer all the other ones um, per- pretty well. Um, and then, but this one always bugged me. I always had a hard time. Well, yeah. Never, once you I say in yes. every way, that's pretty. I would always say, well, thorough. I, don't, I don't know. And they would always cut me off and say, no, no, you're doing fine. Yeah. That's just the whole phrasing of, do you consider yourself worthy? That's like a self 
interested. I would never have been able to pass yeah, that. I, I, I no honest, matter how good I thought I was doing. You read the thing saying I yeah, to enter know. the Lord's house. Nope. I, mean, I never said yes to that one. I always said no. I, I don't. I think I would say I think so. <laughs> I think so. I I'm trying. So. <laughs> I'm trying. So let's talk about some of the a uh, couple of the interesting changes over the year. The, these questions have not been. Um, as set in stone as they are right now. The questions actually started pretty early in, in Utah after the, the, everybody spread out. And then, you know, Brigham and the, and the 12 didn't necessarily know everybody. This wasn't a big deal in Joseph Smith's time. There were, there wasn't really this, this question of, well, it's of kind of like, because, if you're in, you're in. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, doing what they were doing, they weren't really worried about worthiness, I guess. But then you had to have a recommend, you know, cause you might come from, from, I, I don't know, from, the four corners of Utah and come in on your horse to St. George and, you know, no one knew who you were. Yeah, once the so church got big enough. So you had this letter of that... recommend. And that's where the term recommend came from. You would come with this letter of recommendation from the state president and handwrite and say, I recommend Brother Smith to go through the temple, da-da-da. Um, and they started giving out questions. Um, do you, you... Oh, I've got some from the 1857 version. I just, there, I picked out my favorite questions they're kind of funny. So the first one they ask you is if you've committed murder by shedding innocent blood or consenting thereto. <laughs> There's got to be one about stealing a horse. Good in question. There, right? Well, okay. So have you cut hay where you've had no right to, or turned your animals into another person's grain or field without his knowledge and consent? Have you taken the name of deity in vain? That was damn it. No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you God forgot. Damn it, God no. damn it. Okay. <laughs> Um, have you branded an animal that you did not know to be your own? Have you taken another's horse or mule from, oh, the, I knew, I knew it would be there. <laughs> from the range and rode it without the owner's <laughs> consent? <laughs> do you wash your body and have your family do so as often as health and cleanliness require and circumstances will permit? That was weird when I read those over last night. I thought, what the heck? Can you and, somebody coming in from like out in the desert. They've been out there yeah, for Yeah, but they're a year like, circumstances didn't permit, okay? A year and a half. Well, in the, the, These the are early pioneers. In the early temples, you, you washed. That was the first thing you did. You took a bath. Right. Save it up for the temple. Don't waste no water. We got crops. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the last one I uh, starred was, do you preside over your household as a servant of God, and is your family subject to you? Exactly. <laughs> so that would obviously be a question only a male could answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably when they just... Right. Ask the men. Um, the ones I think are interesting is um, there have been times when they – and th this one came up quite a bit. Um, but menstruation would keep you out of the temple. They, they There were times in the history yeah. of church where – You couldn't be having your period you while you You couldn't be having were. your period. And there was a time when they asked about sex. You had to give a buffer of – you couldn't have had if sex you, within the past for a couple 48 days. hours or yeah. whatever. Kind of like uh, a pap smear. Like the, which is much more like the ritual cleanliness that they had in Solomon's temple, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah, that was... Which is probably where they got the idea in the first place. Why would they get rid of it if this is the true church? Because God doesn't require that anymore. He doesn't? That was accidentally restored. We were just, <laughs> Zilf and I were just at Sunstone, and we were looking through some pictures of the early temple, and the temple is full of spittoons. <gasps> oh, you can yeah. see them in all the, all the photos, you know, in the... In the the to twelves room and they're the under the chairs and that, under the tables, but you know, they're there. So, so a lot of, a lot of tabacky was going on in the, in the Salt Lake Temple. So well, they didn't ask about it on the record. And those were pictures taken in the twentieth century, like around nineteen oh five or nineteen oh six or somewhere around there. So 
they've been changed and, and, and I mean, the point is they will change again, um, to keep up with the times as we've talked about as if enough people stop paying tithing. I always understood. I've heard this figure several times that in any given ward on average, about 50% of the ward is inactive. And of the people who are active that who go fairly regularly or, you know, go at least five or six times during the year, only 30% of those people hold the temple recommend. Um, you know, so you're talking about basically in any ward on the rolls, about 15% of the population actually holds temple recommends. And there's some who accuse the church and its temple building plan to be a sort of a renewal of the Moyle strategy, which is if we, if people do not have a temple close by, they will not feel the need to get a temple recommend. Ergo, they will not feel the need to pay tithing. So if we build a lot of temples really close by, people will feel compelled to keep their temple recommend up and they must pay their tithing. If you build um, it, they will that's come. That's a rather cynical view and narrows this whole thing down to tithing, but I'm sure there's some truth in it. I think there's some truth to it, and I don't even think you have to be cynical to believe that. I mean, I think you can you know, <laughs> still believe that they're not just trying to get money, but that they're trying to get people to have recommends, and mm-hmm. so they build a temple nearby. But, um, you know, to, so so really, the, like we said, the, 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 the most important things in here are you have to be obedient, you can't be critical, you can't say evil things about the church or or even just negative things. Um, whenever you hear the word worthiness, a, a Mormon immediately thinks about sex. So worthiness and and ethics and morality and all that really go to sex. Money, you have to keep paying. And then the word of wisdom is kind of a throwaway one, but it's a very showy one. You know, people pay really close attention to people who smoke, people who drink, mm-hmm. people who drink coffee. And you ain't getting in the temple. All right, guys, those are the temple recommend questions. Now you've studied up for, and you can all get into the temple. Um, if you're, all you uh, have to say is yes, 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 no, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's 13 yeses, one no, and then another yes. Okay. So. <laughs> That's easy to remember. <laughs> all right. Any last minute thoughts? All right. Well, as always, the uh, discussion will continue on the website at mormonexpression.com. Zilva, what do we have in the hopper? On um, September seventeenth, September seventh in Salt Lake City, at the downtown library, um, there will be a lecture from Will Bagley, seven p.m. free of charge. You can come meet the lovely Zilpha and the lovelier John. <laughs> um, um, well, Will, Will Bagley's the star there. Will Bagley's the star. He'll be he'll be delivering the lecture. Um, we have the, the cruise coming up in January. You should get your um, reservations. You have to get them before the middle of November, but the sooner the better because they um, Carnival can kind of like soak up our tickets that we've reserved um, if they need them, and they can also change the price at this point. So the sooner the better um, if you want to get in with us but we'll be there and there's some other cool people who'll be there you won't be disappointed yeah it's at least um five couples all right good night everybody good night, good night. thank you good night.